I don't think Jesus really cares where you sit at a dinner party. But where you sit probably says something about you that Jesus does care about. I suppose that dinner on the Sabbath with the leader of the Pharisees, the leader of a synagogue, is a little like having dinner with the bishop after a visitation. It's the sort of occasion where everyone in the parish does their absolute best to show off how holy and hospitable they are. A distinguished parishioner with a fine home serves as the host. Everyone on the vestry signs up to contribute something. And when the time comes, everyone there clamors for an opportunity to visit with the guest of honor. Actually, you might have noticed that clergy aren't really a lot of fun on a Sunday after church. Usually, having given most of our energy in worship, we're more likely to doze off than entertain you with a witticism. But still, people seem to want to press in and get that seat near that guest of honor, when in fact, if they just hung back and sat on the other side of the room where the troublemakers gather, they probably would have had more fun. But on this Sabbath day, Jesus noticed how the guests chose their seats. They probably didn't clamor for the best seats. They probably did what we do, which is work our way, usually gently, but sometimes not so gently, to make sure we get a pretty good seat. Not ostentatious, but good enough. And after everyone had sat down, Jesus told them a parable. When you get invited to a wedding banquet, he said, don't sit in the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you will come behind you and embarrass you. Jesus used an image that is as familiar to us as it was to his audience. We don't have to know anything about first century Palestinian wedding customs in order to know what it feels like to look across the room and see, sitting by himself, our six-year-old at the head table at our boss's daughter's wedding. You don't have to like football at all to know how good it must feel to have someone invite you to sit with them in their skybox. But Jesus wasn't dishing out advice for dinner parties. He was using a parable to tell people about the way God works. Parables are stories or analogies that use real-world imagery to convey an otherworldly truth and then bring that truth back into this world. Jesus like any preacher, always had his eyes and ears open for an opportunity, a moment that might weave its way into a sermon illustration. And when he saw the people sit down, it occurred to him that he had something to say. Now, what Jesus said to the crowd wasn't a passive-aggressive criticism of the way they had chosen their places. They didn't need Jesus to tell them that you shouldn't sit in a place that might belong to someone else. No, Jesus uses that universal human experience to let us see what God's kingdom is like. 
If God's kingdom were like a dinner party, Jesus seems to be saying, then at God's dinner party, all the guests would choose the lowest place because they all know that God is the kind of host who comes to the lowly and says, friend, move up higher, sit with me. And that God is the kind of host who says to the haughty, I'm sorry, that place is reserved for someone else. The truth is, Jesus doesn't care where we sit, but he does care what we think about ourselves and what we think about other people. Jesus came to show the world that God cares for the lowly and the vulnerable and the poor. The life and death and resurrection of Jesus show us that in God's great reordering of things, those who sit in lofty places are pulled down to make room for the lowly whom God lifts up. That truth is hard to grasp, though, which might be why we talk about it over and over and over again. It's probably why Jesus uses parables to describe it, because we need every image we can come up with to begin to understand this unconditional love that runs counter to everything we've ever experienced. Parables help those of us who live in this right-side-up world understand God's upside-down ways. To get that point across, Jesus goes on in this passage with another image, one that probably made the guests squirm a little bit in their seats. He looked at his host and said, the next time you throw a luncheon or a dinner, don't invite your friends or your relatives or your rich neighbors in case they might pay you back. When you throw a party, invite the kind of people who would never be able to pay you back. Notice that when Jesus offers this instruction, the rationale he gives isn't that we shouldn't invite our friends because we're expecting them to pay us back. Of course, everyone knows that. Jesus goes a step further and invites us to invite people to our party because we know they could never pay us back. There's a difference. There's a difference between doing a favor or giving a gift to someone not expecting anything in return and giving that gift or doing that favor because we know there will never be anything in return. That's what Jesus wants us to see about the way God's kingdom works. That God gives status and meaning not to those who can pay God back, but to the very people who could never pay God back, the people whom God loves. If you want to be a part of what God is doing in the world, then you have to see the world the way God sees it, which is the way that Jesus sees it. Jesus isn't telling us that we're not supposed to invite our friends and family to our daughter's wedding. Jesus is telling us that if we want to understand how the kingdom works, then the next time we throw a party, we've got to invite those people who could never pay us back. Then we might begin to get a glimpse at how God works. True status, Jesus tells us, isn't what we've earned, but what we're given. Something God doles out indiscriminately which means that if you're like me, 
the kind of person who went to high school and went to college and got a job and got married and bought a house and had a family and one day will probably throw a big party at your daughter's wedding, then you're probably a person who has a hard time seeing how it is that God works. God is spilling love all over the place, recklessly and indiscriminately. Sure, God loves the rich and the powerful too. Everyone gets God's love. But if you're the kind of person whose accomplishments the world respects, if you're the kind of person who can take whatever seat you want at a party and trust that no one's going to bump you out of that seat, then maybe parables are the only way you can understand how God is at work. What are we going to do? We could start taking the lowest seat every time we go to a dinner party, but I don't think that's going to work. I've tried it in the past. It really doesn't help at all. We've got to do something more than that. We've got to pursue that emptiness, that barrenness that begins to make a space in our hearts for who God is and what God is doing. It doesn't just mean caring for the poor and the needy and the vulnerable, though that's not a bad place to start. It means becoming poor and vulnerable. It means pursuing poverty. It means embracing an emptiness that is the abandonment of all of our accomplishments. When the only seat left for us is the very last seat in the world, then we will have made enough emptiness to hear God say to us, friend, move up higher. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.